Hello and welcome to the Inside Risk and Compliance podcast. I'm your host, Adam Spencer, Director of AJ Fox Compliance, a specialist recruitment agency focusing on all things law firm risk and compliance. I have seen so many people carve amazing and fulfilling careers in this space, and it really has been a pleasure speaking to people who enjoy doing what they do every day. However, one thing that has really stood out to me is how hard it can be for people to access the bigger picture outside of their team, outside of their firm. We created this podcast to share with you some of the insights, experiences, and stories of the most interesting people succeeding inside risk and compliance. Today, I'm speaking to Charlotte Murray, Risk and Compliance Solicitor at Clark Wilmot. In today's episode, we cover qualifying as a solicitor through the Silex route. We talk about how to build the profile of your risk and compliance team within your firm, as well as about going viral on LinkedIn. Hope you enjoy. So Charlotte, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. How are you, Adam? Yeah, really good, thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. Very welcome. Um, So we've obviously already done a little bit of an intro. Yeah but obviously not going to have done as good a job as you can at describing a little bit about yourself, who yeah. you are. Um, so for our audience, why don't you sort of explain who you are, what you do, and then can we hear a little bit about your journey and how you got into this world of law firm risk yeah. and compliance? Um, so my name is Charlotte Murray, and I am a solicitor in risk and compliance at Clark Wilmot. Um, I've been there for just over a year now, but my journey before that was... Um, a lot different, to say the least. Um, so I, about 14, 15 years ago now, started in law. Yeah. Um, the usual route, went through university, LPC, wanted that uh, training contract that not everyone always mm-hmm. obtains. Uh, and I got into residential property to start with and then moved into commercial property and came into mm-hmm. London. Um, still looking for the elusive training contracts and not really getting anywhere. So went through the paralegal route up to senior paralegal, and I ended up working for a really interesting firm, um, which was a startup in London from a US law firm. Yep. And when I started there, the intention was for me to go into commercial property, but they didn't have that team initially. So I ended up doing a bit of everything, and that included some risk and compliance work. Uh, so that was my little intro into it. And I did that for about six months, really enjoyed it. But then as soon as the comp team came on, I was just moved into them. Um, and that I didn't really think much more of it because I was just still looking for the training contract at that stage. Um, went through a, another few firms in London and eventually um, qualified in a firm in the Shard in 2019 after 12 years of, of trying. And I actually did that through a slightly different route with Silex, mm-hmm. which I think we're going to touch on later. Um, and uh, then... I went off and went on to maternity leave, basically. And during my time on mat leave, I just thought, do I want to stay in commercial property as a transactional lawyer or do I want to do something completely different? And I decided that I would just throw caution to the wind. <laughs> I handed in my notice and actually reached out to you guys. <laughs> um, yeah. And you helped me obviously get my foot on the ladder with the first risk and compliance role um, as an analyst in the AML arena. Um, and I did that for a year. And then on LinkedIn found a, a more generalised and um, broader risk and compliance role at Clark Wilmot, where I am now. Um, so that's kind of the summary awesome. of, of where, how I got to where I am. Yeah, and everybody we speak to seems to come at this from a completely different yeah. angle. Um, and a lot of people, I guess, making making career changes. Yeah. How was that decision-making process? Really but, tough. Yeah. yeah, really tough. What was it? Was there anything sort of going through your mind that helped you get to that point of deciding to go in a different direction? Um, my daughter, to be honest. I mm-hmm. mean, I think it's 
possibly the same for some a lot of people in that position or maybe something completely different that makes them change but for me I wanted to the hours were very very long um, as a transactional lawyer and I just thought do I want to carry on doing that and not spending as much time with her or do I actually want to have a bit more of a work-life balance and I thought back to my time at that US startup and remembered the risk and compliance I thought actually this could be a really good avenue to go down might not work but actually this if I'm going to do it now on maternity leave is the time that I do this because if I go back into transactional law when else you know when am I going to do that when can I actually take a break and cut the salary back and start again effectively um so it just made sense in that period to just go for it but I mean I, I did hand my notice in in about um, six months into my maternity leave and didn't wow. have a job that must have been um, scary. How did you, how did terrifying. that feel when uh, you did it? Were you, you know, comfortable it was the right decision? Were you panicking at that moment? Comfortable it was the right decision. Slightly panicked, <laughs> looking at my daughter, thinking this has got to work out. It yeah. will work out. And then I kind of just enjoyed my maternity leave and got to, I think I contacted you maybe three, four months before I was due to go back. And I thought, okay, now I need to start looking. And I did the two ICA courses. Mm-hmm. And I thought, actually... You know, is this going to be as easy as I'm thinking? I think we had an initial conversation and I was like, well, I don't even know. I didn't even know there was so much in risk and compliance and you filled me in on a lot of the, the different avenues I could go down. Um, and I think it was, it became a bit overwhelming for a period because I thought, you know, maybe I hadn't really considered how many avenues there are in risk and compliance. I just saw risk and compliance mm. and that was it. Um, but challenging, but glad I did it. Oh, good. It is, it is amazing actually how little information there is out there. I don't know how you found it in terms of researching the space. Nothing cohesive, right? Everything that we see is normally about the financial services sector. But getting that insight, I mean, that's part of what this podcast is about, really giving people a bit more insight beyond a few things they can see on Google. Um, Obviously, you mentioned, you know, searching for that elusive training contract, um, as so many people are, I guess, um, and then finding a different route to qualifying. And there seem to constantly be new ways of qualifying at the moment. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about your route, how you found it, how you juggled it with everything else going on in your life? Yeah. So I actually... um, I stumbled across it through a friend. So she was doing Silex and she hadn't done the LPC. So she was just going to qualify via Silex, then do the LPC and mm-hmm. then go to the SRA and be admitted. And when she mentioned it, she said, Charlotte, why haven't you done this? And I was like, well, I didn't really know I could, is the honest answer. And if I did know I could, I would have done it years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the portfolio that I had to do was huge and you know took a lot of graft for a year to get everything done and get all the evidence together for the Silex. Um, but once that was done, effectively, once, once you're qualified with Silex at that stage, I don't know if it's exactly the same now, if you had the LPC, mm. then the SRA admit you to the role. And I thought, why? you know, I've got, I can't remember how much experience I had at the time, maybe nine years. Um, why haven't I, why did I not <laughs> know about this five years ago when I had rejection after rejection and just was losing the will to live with training contracts? I think the important thing is that there are so many different routes. Um, and in risk and compliance, you you know, there's routes without qualification as well. So I don't think that qualification is the be all and end all. And I, mm. I think that's what a lot of people, and it is, it's easy to get hung up on it because you come out of uni and all you see is qualification in the standard way that, you know, you've been sold it at university yeah. and you, you haven't worked anywhere yet. You, you genuinely don't know about all the other routes that there are. But, I mean, these these podcasts are great for just allowing people to see there's so many ways into the profession. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I can say it from my experience as well, when you go through the legal education, you are sort of 
um, you know, the, the blinkers are on and there's a narrow view and you yeah. just see one direction. They're almost sort of brainwashed into that being the path yeah. you must pursue, but there's all sorts of different directions. But when you, you did go through that Silex process, you mentioned, you know, portfolio, big, big um, piece of work to get that that dealt with. So obviously a lot of time and energy involved. Yeah. So what was your, you know, what was going through your mind in deciding to do that? Where did you hope it would get you to or was it more personal achievement uh, piece or, or what, what was going on there? Mm, I think when I when I was doing the portfolio, I was already doing associate level work. So in a way, I felt a bit cheated by the system mm. because I thought, well, I've been in law for so long now. I'm doing the work, but I'm I'm not getting what I should for yeah. it because I'm a senior paralegal and I've got a ceiling above me. Um, so it was it was part that and part the personal achievement of it. What was interesting was when I actually qualified. After all of those years, I felt like I should be singing and dancing and mm. I actually didn't feel much at all. Oh, really? Um, and I think it had just been such a long time coming and had taken so much out of me um, that it was maybe a bit anticlimax for mm. me, the whole qualification thing. And actually, I, the year I qualified was the year I got pregnant. So I mm -hmm. think that was what also led me to have such a big overhaul and career yeah. change because I walked into maternity leave and I thought, okay, this should feel different. I should yep. be so excited right now. And that excitement had just, I don't know, maybe been killed off by the <laughs> length of time it had yep. taken. But I thought I've got to do something really radical here. I still mm. want to be a lawyer, but where I, you know, what I'm doing right now is, is just not, it's just not causing that excitement anymore that it should be in a job. And, you know, you should love your job. I genuinely think mm. you can love your job. And I think that that's the important thing that to always strive for is that you genuinely can go into your job most days. Maybe you won't love every minute, but you can love most of it. Yeah, absolutely. So if we have people listening, um, maybe they already work in risk and compliance and they're trying to work out whether to put that time and effort in to qualify. And every case is different, right? Yeah. And um, people are going to be... Um, looking at it for different reasons, but is there any advice you would give to people deciding whether it's worth them doing it or not? My advice would be it would really depend. I actually would suggest they speak to a recruiter like mm. like yourselves and actually get some information on the roles in risk and compliance because yep. I made the decision without having done that. Um, and actually, when when you look at the roles, there's people like compliance officers, et cetera, junior compliance officers, where you don't need the qualifications. Obviously, firms that are looking for risk lawyers, they are obviously looking for a qualification within that. Not to say they wouldn't potentially look at someone that didn't, but in their minds they probably have a, a you know, a, a structure of someone that's been through that qualification route. But there's so many roles in risk and compliance. Yeah. And once you're in it, let's use the compliance officer as an example, if you go in, there's nothing to say you can't go up to compliance manager, risk manager. You know, we've got a, a best practice manager working for us who's qualified, but in, in the same breath, someone could have come up through that route without yeah. qualification and, and do, you know, the same role. So I think it's, the options are there. And I think it's worth people speaking to someone like yourselves first mm. and then saying, okay, can we potentially get a foot on the ladder here without causing ourselves more stress and carrying yeah. on trying to get this all elusive qualification? Personally, is it what I want? Maybe they want to get that and that's that's where they want to go regardless mm. because it all you know that's what they want as a tick in their lives but actually with risk and compliance i think it's such an open open field of job opportunities definitely but i well, obviously i think that's good advice to get people <laughs> speaking to us um but i think it is really good advice generally to just be looking into you know why are you doing it yeah. can, can you write down 
why you're qualifying mm-hmm. because we often speak to people who I guess they've just seen it as a barrier so it's just to remove a barrier but um, they haven't necessarily got a definition as to where they're going to be on the other side of the barrier uh, and often yeah there's many opportunities out there and even heads of roles director level roles that don't require it yeah. so it, it is really important I think to think it through and on the flip side we're also seeing quite a few employers who've got um, people within their teams going through that qualification process and I'm not sure there's been that discussion internally what do you what do you think your team are expecting? What do you think your employee is expecting once they qualify? And Because if those things don't match, you've got a risk there, right? If someone's um, going through the process of qualifying, expecting something to change, but that hasn't been communicated, it's not going to change. You know, we're going to have somebody who's unhappy at the end of the day. So yeah, I think it's really good advice to think about why you're doing it, work it out, um, and have an actual plan. Um, that's really, really helpful. Talking of people qualifying, you mentioned um, it sounds like quite a, uh, you know, we've got other firms who do do this a little bit, but quite a novel approach at Clark Wilmot of having SQE. Yeah. I don't know what you call them now, SQEers. Yeah, I mean, we say <laughs> SQEers. Whether that's do you say the SQEers? right terminology, okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> I like that. We're going to stick with that. So we, you've got SQEers yeah. spending time in the risk and compliance team as well. And we've had a few firms who succumb people into the team and not many. Um, and you guys are getting them in for a month and you're saying yeah. maybe hoping you get them in for a little bit longer. Um, and, and I know you'd mentioned that that had been sort of eye-opening because yeah. they don't necessarily come in with any real idea of what you guys do and, and seem quite amazed about how much is going on. So what's that experience been like? And it would be interesting to understand, you know, what do they think they're coming into and then what do you think they work out by the end of it? Yeah, so we started off, it, I think it was maybe just a bit of a trial thing at the beginning with only a few of them and it, it took off so well that actually we now have all of them coming in for a month at least. Mm. Um, I think we have got some coming in later in the year for maybe a bit longer. Um, I don't really know what they walk in. I I don't think people really know what we do. Mm. So they walk in with not many expectations apart from just trying to actually understand what the risk and compliance function does on a day-to-day basis. Um, And they'll, you know, they'll do work for um, each of us within the team. So the team is structured as risk and compliance, but there's claims and complaints within yep. it, best practice. I deal with just the risk side with with my boss. Um, then there's the compliance bit. So there's a few different arenas under it that mm. they can help out on. Um, the, the feedback from them as they leave, I mean, it's only a month, so it's quite a short, sharp introduction into risk and compliance, but we're a busy team. Mm. And I think most of them have been quite shocked at how, how busy we actually are <laughs> and how manic it is. I yeah. think they sit there and say, we just... We just had no idea that the team deals with so much. Um, I mean, effectively, any query that no one else knows how to deal with in the firm lands with risk. That mm. you know, that is the end result. If no one else knows how to deal with it, it ends up in our inbox, and we have to figure it out. Um, and I just don't think that's known. And also to see to sit on the team and see the emails coming in from different teams with the queries really helps them because they go back out and they say to their own teams, their home teams is what we call them at Clark Walmart, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is how we should be doing it. And actually, this is what we can reach out to risk for. This is what we should be reaching out to them for. And they can help us with so much more than we're using them for. Um, you know, we are, in effect, in-house advisors to yep. everyone within that firm effectively to make sure that the regulations aren't breached that's the the bottom line we're there to help everybody Mm. and I think sometimes we just I don't know people just think we're just up there somewhere (laughs) floating around no one really knows what we're doing or they see us as the enemy but Mm. actually you know we're there to support and make sure people aren't doing anything they shouldn't be. I just wanted to take a moment out to thank our amazing sponsor the International Compliance Association The ICA are the leading professional body for the global regulatory and financial crime community, offering professional qualifications, world-class events and training. 
go check them out online and if any of the certificates or courses take your fancy, then you can get 10% discount using our code AJFOX10 at checkout. That's fantastic because you're going to create a little bunch of, I guess, uh, mini champions, army. ambassadors, yeah, <laughs> for risk and compliance, <laughs> going in and educating the yeah. rest of the business. But it sounds like it, you find it a, a challenge generally that there's a lack of awareness. I think so. It's something we're working on within the team. So we we definitely um, we're creating um, some introductory videos that will be put out to the different teams and new joiners when they join, just to explain what risk comp compliance is, what it mm -hmm. does, what they can come to us for just to try and increase their awareness so that more and more people do contact us because maybe people are a bit scared sometimes if they think they've done something a bit wrong yeah. to reach out. But actually, that's when you reach out. You reach out to come to us so that we can go, okay, mistakes been made, that's fine, let's fix it. Mm. Let's stop this becoming something really big where a breach happens. And that's what we're there for. Yeah. And you mentioned as well when we were speaking previously about um, the fact that building connections internally is so yeah. important with that as well yeah. and building those relationships. You know, have you got any advice or tips for people trying to uh, build relationships with other employees or stakeholders internally? Uh, yeah, I think it's important to, um, I mean, I guess it depends on what your job role mm. is. I'm quite lucky in mine that I manage the, the risk inbox. So I end up dealing with quite a few people within the firm. But if that isn't your role, make it part of your role, speak to your speak to your boss and see how you can be more involved with speaking to people within the firm because yeah. that's how they build trust in you and actually outside of the firm as well um something that we didn't touch on earlier when i was looking for my first risk role mm. i reached out to a head of risk for a bank so mm. slightly different arena not the not the legal side and i sent him a message on linkedin and said look i really want to change career i don't know where to start is this even possible? Do you think I can? And he, I didn't even know him. He sent me such a lovely response back and said, "This he he was the one that told me about the ICA. Mm -hmm. um, I think he may have mentioned your guys, you mm -hmm. know, and said like, speak to Adam as well. I think he knew, knows you probably through LinkedIn and connections as mm -hmm. well. Um, and, you know, it's utilize all avenues, utilize yeah. people within the firm, but build those connections outside of the firm as well, because it's amazing what you'll get from that. And yeah, I know you use LinkedIn a lot I actually do as use well. LinkedIn but, a lot. You know, all different <laughs> things. You know, how has it helped you? I mean, obviously, there's a great example there of how it's helped you in your yeah. in your career. But what is it you love about using LinkedIn? Um, I think LinkedIn has. I've always been quite open on LinkedIn, which yep. you know, across the years, not everyone's always agreed with. You You know, you've got mm -hmm. two different kind of camps on yep. LinkedIn of whether it should be personal or not. It has only done me, you know, benefits to be mm -hmm. like that on LinkedIn. I've actually, when I used to look for a commercial property roles, I found a lot directly through LinkedIn yep. just by connecting with people and, and, you know, and again, building those connections up. And it's done me well, you know, with the risk and compliance because this job at Clark Wilmot, I found through, I was on a group on LinkedIn and it was shared on the group from, mm. from Jen, actually, my boss. She posted it and it was shared within this group. I saw it and, I contacted her on LinkedIn mm. um, and that's how I got the interview. And I just think opening up personally as well allows people to connect with you and see yeah. who you are and know that you're not just a robot within a, a firm. Yeah. You're actually a human being that deals with horrible things and yep. great things in life. I think it's really important and I think it's it's a great opportunity for people to share those personal mm -hmm. stories in an environment where um, they can reach a lot of people yeah. and um, allow things, allow topics to come uh, to the fore that otherwise might not be talked yeah. about. Um, it's an interesting one because there is always that divide, isn't there? Some yeah. people are you know, really against um, personal content. 
I think the evidence is overwhelming that personal I content wins. I absolutely, it's the my, most viewed stuff. Yeah, my pop, most, my, I mean, I had a couple of posts last year that went viral, and mm. they were, they were actually posts linked with being a parent mm. uh, in the working world, and they blew up and yep. I had over a million views on them and, really and they were it was, there, it, was, it was insane and that that's personal content yeah. and it was really personal content but mm. whenever I I do still try and post with a professional angle so yep. there's a point to it you know and the point with that was that it's very hard for working parents to return yep. to work with the cost of childcare. that was one of them um and the other one was to do with, um, oh, I think it, a bit of a, it went a bit viral all over the place mm. with people changing their profile photos with their children to right. say to show that we are, you know, there's families here. Yeah. This yeah, is yeah, beyond, yeah. I'm not just a face at work. I have a, a life behind me. Mm. Um, I think you know. I think you're right. The evidence is overwhelming, and maybe everyone <laughs> else should join. <laughs> yeah. Or if you if you're not happy with that, if you just want it to be professional, that's fine. My tip is. Go into the settings. Just unfollow people. Yeah. You don't have yeah, to no, view it if you don't want to view it. So I always find it funny when people get frustrated about yeah. it because they can choose not to view yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's great that it's been so sort of beneficial for you. Um, are there any challenges you see facing the legal profession at the moment that might sort of have an impact on the way that risk and compliance is working? Yeah, um, AI. Yeah, it's a big topic at the moment. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, Chat GPT took the world by storm last yeah. year, and there was a lot in the press about it. And a lot of um, some of the bigger firms have taken that software on and mm -hmm. changed it slightly and are using it. Um, we've seen stuff coming through where it's been um, where software's um, AI software's being used for due diligence and, mm -hmm. and drafting contracts. Um, and I think in some firms it's being used as a, to draft initial legal opinions now as well. Really? So the software's there and the technology's yeah. there. From the risk side, I think what is um, uh, still undecided is how good it actually is and how yeah. reliable it is. And I think we've, when we've had software coming through, we've really looked at it and looked at what are the risks here? You know, mm -hmm. what are clients going to sue us? because something's gone wrong with this AI piece of software. Yeah. Um, and I think the way at the moment that, that we've got around it as a firm is that the humans are still checking. Yeah. Um, so whatever's being pumped out by the AI software is being checked by people within mm. the firm. And I think that's probably the approach a lot of firms are taking. I think we are a long way away from AI just doing it all and it being so reliable that we don't have to look at it. Um, and I think, I guess there's a, it, it's marrying up humans make errors mm. in, in their work. Otherwise there wouldn't be PI insurance. Yep. Um, but it's marrying up the two somewhere in the middle so that, you know, AI can do enough with a quick check so that it does save time, but that the, the risks are mitigated as much as possible. I think there's also a question around young lawyers, because mm -hmm. I think if you, the tasks that AI is doing, such as the you know contract initial contract drafts and due diligence, they're tasks that young lawyers would normally undertake. So if you're not allowing them to undertake those tasks and they're just checking, are they losing out? Is you know is there mm. a foundation of learning there that they're not going to get, and will that actually be detrimental to them as they grow in their career? I think it's an interesting area that raises quite a few questions. Yeah, I find it fascinating. It's almost like is, there's an equivalence to the uh, calculator yeah. in there that takes away the ability my, yeah. my mental arithmetic is terrible and that's probably the calculator is probably to blame <laughs> so are we going to see a similar effect with yeah. ChatGPT? wasn't there a case recently where somebody had referenced case law which I think ChatGPT had made up on the spot to, uh, to probably I've seen a lot in, uh, yeah. in the law there's always 
there's been a few things recently. And I think mm. there was, I, I can't remember the law firm, but there, there was a law firm, I think, that pulled it back slightly because mm. it, it went very wrong. Um, so whilst I, I, def, I think it's going to continue coming in, I don't yeah. think it's going to, I don't think we're going to go back to not using it. And I think it's just a case of watching this space really to see where it goes and how yeah. far how far it takes us. It's in its infancy, isn't yeah, it? I I've got a friend who uh, is a teacher at a school and we're always asking him, you know, what impact is it having? Yeah. And I think because it's in its infancy, he said it's normally, when the, the students decide to use it to answer yeah. questions, it's normally pretty apparent if the kids, you know, the kids 15, 16, suddenly their essay takes a very <laughs> different turn. You can tell ChatGPT has been involved. But yeah, I'm fascinated to see what the yeah. you know, appliances will be in the no, legal absolutely. sector. Um, just dialing back a little bit, you know, obviously you were talking about having the SQEs yeah. in your team for a little bit and people not understanding necessarily what risk and compliance people do. Yeah. Um, you know, if you were to try and explain to um, if we've got any people who don't work in risk and compliance yeah. properly yet out there listening, or even if we might have some people who are paralegals, fee earners listening, um, how would you describe to them what risk and compliance is all about? And, you know, what do you do? I know every day is probably yeah, different, right? It is. And we had a bit of a joke when I started in my first mm. few months because my, my job description didn't really end up matching what I was doing because oh, really? it was so varied. And I had someone ask me, and I was like, I actually don't know how to answer that question apart from to say that I investigate people. But that's a, it's a, <laughs> bit, of a <laughs> bit of an in-house joke in the team. Obviously, we do do internal investigations. That's part of it. Um, but really, the, the broad... The broad description I would give it is that we are there to to make sure that what is happening within the firm is marrying up with the regulations that are set, um, so the SRA code of conduct, um, and to make sure that people are staying within the lines where they need to be, um, and that if there are breaches, which of course there are, um, that they are dealt with properly and that we... Uh, amend procedures protocols to make sure those breaches don't happen again so it's just a constant moving ship really uh, I don't deal with data protection so mm -hmm. I guess there's that side of it as well and I also don't deal with claims and complaints so it, it's there's so many different areas you can be involved in um, it, it's a very broad field and what I love about it is that every single day is different I mm -hmm. the queries that I get into the risk inbox I started a spreadsheet when I started at Clark Wilmot just in case anyone else ever had to pick anything else up, I gave it up within about a month oh, really? because I thought this will be great because yeah. people can come in, they can see the query, see the answer, mm. and they've got a template. I don't get asked the same question. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, had, I've got over, I think I've got over 1,300 emails in my little saved folder of things wow. I've answered since I've been there. And every single one's different. So how do you, how do you describe that yeah. to someone? So it's... You Keep help you on your with, toes. It does. And, you, you know, you help with anything and everything. Mm. It's a real learning curve, but it's it's really exciting on a daily basis. And it, it just doesn't, I, do, or I can't ever see it getting boring because mm. the, the, the risk and compliance world just keeps moving forwards. And there's more things that come up on the back of that. That's amazing. So what would you say if we've got listeners who are, um, you know, not working in risk and compliance, maybe considering getting into this space, maybe they're just considering a career change, or maybe they've just started in a new law firm risk and compliance role, what advice would you give them about their career path? Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just make the move. Um, uh, it's, I guess it depends what they're doing beforehand, mm. but it's it's a really fulfilling career mm -hmm. um, and you genuinely feel like you're doing something important for yeah. the firm because you, you have so many people that actually once you've, I mean, it's taken me I'd, um, maybe nine months is when it started to happen. I got people calling me 
on their own without going through my boss or coming through someone else. Mm. I now have people that are just starting to reach out to me on my own where they just obviously see me as someone trusted that they can ask questions to. And it's just such a nice feeling to know you can actually help people in, yeah. in their careers. I mean, that's you're making sure that they keep their career. That's yeah. If they go wrong, that's it. Um, so it's it you know it feel it's nice it's nice feeling to know that you're actually able to help people to to fulfil what they want to do as well. I think people often forget that you know the the level to which you're protecting people yeah. and you know to some extent things like from a money laundering perspective you're actually stopping money getting yeah. laundered. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, funds, we so. have a separate onboarding team that mm. deals with the money laundering. So again, it doesn't fall within my role now. Albeit mm. I did do it at my at the prior yeah. firm, which which you obviously helped me with with that role. Um, but yeah, for, for that team, they are preventing money laundering. And it's, I think sometimes it's easy in the nitty gritty of it and the procedures within the firm for that message to just be lost. Yeah. Um, but actually, when you step back, risk and compliance on AML, all of that function is so important to keeping the firm actually functioning on a day to day basis. Fantastic. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No, that has been welcome. brilliant hearing your story and your journey and learning, learning a little bit more about your experience in the world of risk and compliance. So thank you so much. No, thank you very much for having me, Adam. We really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. If you did, please do us a huge, huge favour and share it with a friend or a colleague. The more people we can get listening, the more time and energy we can get into recording more episodes and getting the best guests and the most interesting stories and insights. I want to say a huge thank you to the ICA for their support to Ty and Karem here in the studio, and a massive thanks to Kat for making sure everything runs so smoothly behind the scenes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, follow us on LinkedIn to make sure you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.